0: Thank you, Brian. Praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. <clears throat> Just was going to uh, remind you that if you don't like me, Rich is to blame. I'll take that blame. <laughs> 17 years ago, Rich calls me and says, uh, we want you to send a resume. I said, I don't want to send a resume. I'm happy where I'm at. About a month or so later, he calls me back and said, will you pray about it? In the meantime, he's putting pressure on my wife to put pressure on me, And uh, but anyway, I told him, I said, well, I'll pray about praying about it, Rich. That's all I can promise you. But to make a long story short, uh, God brought us here, and uh, another person you can blame is Bob Cummings. If You don't like me, but uh, he was chairman of that committee, that, uh, that uh, search committee, but I'm glad that God brought us here. We were talking about that last night. And uh, I told Rich that it was God's will, I don't know about for y'all, but it was definitely for me and my family that God brought us to this church, because y'all have been uh, such a breath of fresh air and just a loving church family. So, thank you, Rich. <laughs> Rich, uh, I remember one time, the, somebody was introducing him and putting all these accolades on him, and Rich got up and said, uh, you know, praising me is like putting whipped cream on an onion. (laughs) 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 I feel feel the same way. (laughs) Beach days. Everybody loves the beach. Jesus loved the beach. Did you know that? Majority of his teachings took place on the beach or in the water on a boat uh, one of jesus favorite teaching venues was the sea of galilee have you ever been to the beach during a storm anybody ever been on the beach during a storm or maybe you planned your vacation and you never got to go to the beach our first vacation together uh we went to fort walton beach to see my sister and uh, it rained every day it stormed every day I think we got on the beach for maybe a couple hours one day in between showers just to say we got sand between our toes. But other than that, we didn't get to go to the beach because of the storm. In the scripture we're going to look at today, we find that Jesus was teaching during a storm on the Sea of Galilee. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 22 through 33. You're familiar with this story. Let's look at it one more time. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Let's stand together and honor the Lord and his word. We're going to read that together. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. God, take this familiar passage and make it new to us today. Teach us from it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated. The setting of this chapter or this passage we just read, Jesus was experiencing a storm in his life. We don't often think that that could be true of Jesus or even other spiritual leaders. They're so close to God. They're so holy. Their lives are so perfect. They don't have problems. But that's just not true. We see that here in this passage. Jesus was going through a personal storm in his life. His cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. You think about your cousin having his head cut off. How would that make you feel? This is Jesus' close cousin. His mama and John's mama were like this. When Mary found out she was expecting Jesus, she ran to Elizabeth's house and actually stayed with her for a long time. And it was John the Baptist that leaped in Elizabeth's womb when he heard the news that Jesus was going to be born of Mary. Those two boys grew up together. No doubt played together, grew close together. He just got news, verses 1 through 12, that John had been beheaded. And he sought to be alone. Verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. He wanted to be alone. The Bible says also, The multitudes of people kept clamoring after him. That's what it says in the next phrase, but the multitudes heard it. They followed him on foot from the cities. Finally, he was able to get alone in verse 22 of our passage, and that's when the disciples found themselves in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But the setting for this passage is that Jesus himself is going through a storm in his life. Maybe you're in a storm right now. It's been said, I don't really like it, although it's true. You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or you're headed into a storm. I imagine most of you here, if you've lived long enough, you can probably, you would say that's pretty true. That's been the experience of my life. Maybe your storm is grief. That's what Jesus' storm was, grief. Maybe it was a broken marriage. Maybe that's what your storm is right now. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a a bill you can't pay. Finances that are not there to meet your demands. Maybe it's overwhelming stress at work. Maybe that you're being bullied by your peers. Your storm may be that you're battling some addiction. You want freedom. But you just can't seem to get it. So as we examine this passage of scripture today, I want us to look at some biblical principles that are going to help us to navigate the storms of life. Because many of you here today are in a storm. You're right in the middle of it, some of you. Maybe I didn't even name or identify your storm by name yet this morning, but, but only you maybe. Maybe only your family knows the storm you're going through. Some of you are just coming out of that storm and you're thankful that finally that storm's over and you can identify with this today. And and some of you may be thinking, well, thank God everything's going good in my life and and I don't really need to listen to this. Yes, you do because you're headed for a storm and you don't know it yet. The disciples didn't know. Jesus told them to get in the boat, go to the other side. They didn't know what they were fixing to encounter. So let me share with you seven things this morning. I encourage you to take notes. On the back of your bulletin, there's a place for you to write these things down. So you'll remember them because you're going to need them. First thing is, is yours isn't the only storm. You're not the only one going through a storm. Hurricane Rita was the fourth most intense Atlantic hurricane ever recorded and the most most intense tropical cyclone ever observed in the Gulf of Mexico. In Louisiana, the storm surge from Rita inundated low-lying communities along the coast. The surge topped levees, allowing water to surge further inland. Lake Charles suffered from severe flooding. Areas in Texas suffered extensive damage. According to the the Disaster Center report, Over 4,500 single-family dwellings were destroyed in Orange and Jefferson Counties in Texas. Over 14,000 additional single-family dwellings sustained major damage. And another over 26,000 single-family dwellings received some damage. Mobile homes and apartments also sustained significant damage. Electric service was disrupted for several weeks in Texas and Louisiana. There were over 120 deaths related to Hurricane Rita. Damage totaled about $12 billion. But this major deadly storm didn't garnish much attention. You know why? Because there was a huge storm before hers that captured the attention of the whole world by the name of Katrina. So much of the nation was focused on Katrina and the damage it caused and the deaths related to her that much of the nation was virtually unaware of the major damage and the deaths caused by the Gulf's worst storm, most intense storm. Rita, the point is this. Yours isn't the only storm. No matter how difficult it may be, others are going through storms as well. You see, we tend to get very self-focused and self-centered on our storm that we forget that others are going through storms too. Some may, their storms may be lesser. It may be equal or it may be even a worse storm than yours. But to them, It's still a major storm. And just because we aren't aware of someone else's storm doesn't lessen its severity. Nor does the severity of someone else's storm lessen the severity of your own storm. I hear people say often, Oh, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what so-and-so is going through. Well, you may be right. But the Bible says it's not wise to compare ourselves with ourselves. We're not to sit here and measure and compare one another's storms. If you're going through a storm, to you, it's a major deal. Amen? doesn't matter if everybody else is going through something worse. To you, it's tough. But yours isn't the only one. Jesus wasn't the only one going through a storm in this setting. The family of John the Baptist. Can you imagine how Elizabeth and Zacharias felt? mother and father of a son who had been inhumanely beheaded. How about in verse 13 to 21? These crowds, Jesus wanted to get alone, but these crowds of poor people swarming him. And it says he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. That's where he fed 5,000 of them with just a few Loaves and two fish. What about the disciples in the boat? Verse 24, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary. And then in verse 34 through 36, we didn't even read those verses. But when they crossed over to the other side, it says the men of that place recognized him, and they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. What about the storm of sickness that those people were going through? See, Jesus wasn't the only storm. And being Jesus, he wasn't self-centered. He wasn't self-focused. And that leads us to the second thing I want you to write down. In your storm, minister to others during your storm. Jesus recognized that others were going through a storm. And he didn't become self-focused and demand all the attention to be upon Him, and demand people to clamor after Him. He, instead, turned His attention to ministering to others in the storm. I think there's no greater healing than when we can take our pain and minister to others out of our pain. This is what Jesus did. He fed the hungry. He fed 5,000 people in the middle of His grief. He wanted to be alone. They wouldn't leave him alone. He had to minister to him. He didn't have to. He did. He was moved with compassion. The disciples, it says that he came to them in verse 25. He went out to them walking on the water. And he told them, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. It's it's me. I'm here. The sick, he healed the sick in verses 34 through 36. He ministered to others in his storm. A fable tells of a little piece of wood that once complained bitterly because its owner kept whittling away at it, cutting it and filling it full of holes. But the one who was cutting it paid no attention to the complaining of this little piece of wood. He was making a flute out of that piece of ebony. And it was too wise to give up because the wood moaned so piteously. His actions seemed to say, little piece of wood without these holes... And all this cutting, you would only be an ugly stick forever. Just a useless piece of wood. But what I'm doing now will make, may make you think that I'm destroying you when actually I'm changing you into a flute whose sweet music will comfort sorrowing hearts. My cutting you is the making of you, for only thus can you be a blessing to the world. See, God is not destroying you. He's wanting to use you to minister to a hurting world. And you cannot be moved with compassion on those who hurt unless you've hurt yourself. Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? Because he was hurting. His emotions were raw. And when he saw others in need, and when he saw others hurting, it moved him. One German poet said some of the greatest benefits to mankind have had their source in men who have experienced great affliction. He said, I've never experienced affliction that did not turn into a poem. The music that gives man a taste of heaven has often come from afflicted hearts. So principle number two is minister to others in the midst of your storm. You'll be surprised at how quickly the healing will come. Number three, get alone with God. Get alone with God. Verse 13, Jesus sought to be alone. Finally, in verse 22, he was able to get to depart and to be by himself and uh, be up on a, verse 23, be up on a mountain by himself to pray. He had to get alone with God. Listen, in your pain, in your storm, there are times where you just have to depart from everything that, that is going on in your life. You may have to take a day off of work or, or get away from the, the, even your own family for just a, a period of time and just say, I just need to get away and get alone with God. Not go out to vacation and have fun, but get alone with God. Get in His Word. Pray. Talk to God. Let Him minister to you. There have been times in my life that I've done that often. I'll just tell Tana, honey, i got to get away for a couple of days. Some of you have offered your place for me to go and get away for a few days. Just to be with God, to pray and to fast and get in His Word. And I can't tell you the benefit that that's been to me. And ultimately you. And you need that. You've got to press the pause button sometimes. If you're always on, then you're not much use to very many people. Every now and then. In fact, sometimes every day you need to hit the pause button. Certainly sometimes every week you need some extensive pause. And there are times in your life where the storms hit... You just need to stop everything and get alone with God. But you can't stay there. You can't stay alone. You can't stay secluded your whole life. You can't run from your problems. You can't leave everything and say, I'm just going to get away from it all and, and run away. The psalmist dealt with that. I used to tease Tana and say, my favorite passage of Scripture was in Psalms. It said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at peace. It's a good thing God never gave me wings. And I wasn't running from her. I'd take her with me. But it would be like the stress of ministry or the, the, just everything. I'd just like, oh, if I could just get away. And, and you ladies remember the Calgon commercial. Calgon! What's the rest of it? Take me, take me away. You can't run from your storm. So when you get alone with God, you're not running from your storm. You're seeking God in the midst of it. You're going to have to come down off of that mountain. You're going to have to come back to reality. But sometimes you've got to hit pause to be alone with God. Number four, no matter how long or how severe your storm, no matter how long or how severe your storm, expect, underline that word, expect Jesus to intervene miraculously. The greatest, one of the greatest truths that we could possibly have have is hope if a person is in the middle of a storm and has no hope of rescue they are most pitiable verse 24 through 27 the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves so the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch that's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning Jesus came to them walking on the sea and the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They, were, they mistook it for a ghost, and they cried out in fear, but Jesus spoke to them. I, w- I wished I could hear the tone of his voice, but I imagine it was very, even over the boisterous waves, and, and even over the, the sound of the wind, I, can, I imagine Jesus' voice pierced it, but it, wasn't a, 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 it was a very gentle voice, I would imagine. I just hear Jesus saying, hey guys, don't worry, it's me. I'm here. You see, and that's why you need to get along with God because y- y- the storm is so loud. And when you get along with God, sometimes you just have to hear him say, "It's okay. I'm here." The storm was still raging. The storm was still the waves were still crashing in the boat, but Jesus was there. And that makes all the difference in the world. Grace is God drawing sinners closer and closer to Him. How does He do that, though? Not by shielding us from pain and sorrow and troubles, Rather, by exposing us to those things. So as to overwhelm us with a sense of our own inadequacy and to drive us to cling to Him more tightly. It's to ensure that we shall... Learn to hold fast to Him. You know, the reason the Bible spends so many times saying God is our rock, our refuge, our defense, our help is because God spends so much of His time showing us that we're weak and that we need Him. Expect Jesus to show up in the middle of your storm. Expect Him to show up. Look for Him. Listen for His voice. The next thing you need to write down. Sometimes, sometimes, and I would say most times, from my experience, you're called to walk above your storm before Jesus calms your storm. We're begging him, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. Calm this storm in my life. And and he doesn't. He keeps it raging, and sometimes it gets worse, even the more we pray. Something interesting in this passage. I've never thought of it this way before. Maybe you have. I never had. But look at verse 28 and 29. Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now listen, I'm in the boat. The boat is about to sink. The waves have been beating against this boat, crashing over the sides. Boat's filling up with water. None of us can bail fast enough to keep the boat from sinking. The, the wind is just tossing us to and fro. We've rowed and rowed and aren't getting anywhere. And finally, help comes, and there's Jesus. And I would say, Jesus, Jesus, tell the winds to stop. Jesus, tell the waves to stop. Stop! But Peter doesn't do that. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to the water with you. <laughs> Peter gets a bad rap sometimes. I mean, I think, man, that's stupid. I'd say, Lord... Save me! Calm this storm! Isn't that what you do? But Peter said, If it's you, let me step out of this boat and come to you walking on the water. Why was Peter's first request to walk on the water instead of, Lord, calm the storm? You ever thought about that? I had never thought about that. One author said, To realize the worth of the anchor... We need to feel the power of the storm. Why was Peter's request to walk on the water instead of calm the storm? Because Christ, because when Christ is present, the storm doesn't have to cease for you to have peace. Now you think about it. The storm was still raging. Peter steps out of the boat. And he's walking on the water. He's walking on the storm, above the storm. Because Jesus is there. He had peace. It didn't last long. Because what happened? He took his eyes off of Christ and he began to look at the waves and listen to the wind again. He began to sink, but but what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately, the Bible uses that word, immediately reached down and picked him up. And they walked to the boat. And when they got to the boat, then the storm ceased. But listen, you don't have, the storm doesn't have to cease before you have peace. You remember William Booth, the Salvation Army? Catherine, his wife, said, The waters are rising, but so am I. I'm not going under, but over. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched, in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and so she turned to pick it up and all of a sudden she heard Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped and put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and and tore open the bag, and there was Chippy. He was covered with dust and a little stunned. The bird was covered with dust, so she she grabbed him. She runs to the kitchen sink, and she turns the faucet on, and she's rinsing him off under the water, and then she realizes he's shivering to death. And so she does what any, any conscientious, compassionate bird owner would do. She ran for the blow dryer, and she begins to blast him with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering, and she said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. (laughs) He just sits and stares. I mean, after you had been sucked in, washed up, and blown over, would you still be singing? Not in our own strength, but if you have the joy of the Lord, if you have Jesus in, you can be sucked up, you can be washed over, blown up, and you're still singing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus, the presence of Jesus makes the storm endurable and gives you peace. That passes all understanding. To guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Number six. The biggest storm is within us. The biggest storm is within us because of our own lack of faith. Why do I fret so much when the winds are blowing? Why am I afraid? because I'm not trusting in Jesus verse 30 and 31 after Peter cried out and began to sink and Jesus rescued him verse 31 says immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt now you can hear that you can hear that as a rebuke and maybe there's a mild rebuke there but it's also a word of affirmation Jesus is give, giving Peter. Peter, I was here. I've, I've been here. I was not going to let you drown. I was not going to let this storm destroy you. Why did you worry? Why were you afraid? And I often have to remember that in the middle of my storms because I get afraid, I worry. And so, I, Jesus says, why are you worried? Am I not still God? Do you, still not, do you not believe in me? We struggle against the winds of our fears and the waves of our doubt that crash against our faith. It's said that the, the way the natives of the east collect honey is quite remarkable. They're not protected by their clothing. They hardly wear any. And yet, although surrounded by clouds of angry bees, they rarely suffer any stings. The explanation is that these natives are quite passive, very deliberate in their movements. They make no effort to protect themselves. They, They never swat or try to drive the bees away. And even if a bee lands on them, it does not sting them. The Westerner, on the other hand, nervous, restless, combative, swatting, scared, noisy, running, they leave being badly stung. You see, our troubles in life compass us about like a swarm of bees. If we fret and fume, we're going to feel the sting. And miss the honey. But if we'll just live in quietness and confidence, we'll taste the sweetness that Jesus has to offer. Faith through the storm. Jesus told Peter on one occasion, Peter, the devil's desired to have you, and he wants to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. What did Jesus pray for Peter? that your faith not fail. You know, when I pray for you who are going through storms, that's my number one prayer. Yes, I pray for your healing. I pray for your strength. But I pray what Jesus prayed for Peter because I know when I'm going through a storm, I know what the greatest affliction is. It's not really the problem. It's my inner storm. My faith is on the, is on the brink. And that's why I pray for you, God, sustain their faith. Strengthen their faith. Give them faith. Help their faith not to fail. Help them to see that you're still faithful, that you still love them, that you're still on the throne, that you're still in control. Hold them up, Lord. Joe Scriven was a missionary from Ireland to Canada. He worked among the Iroquois Indians. and He was joined by his fiancée, who was from Ireland. and Just before the wedding... She was killed in an accident. Joe buried her with his own hands and a broken heart. And a year later, he wrote a letter to his mom. And he reflected these words. And Brian, you probably know this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The biggest storm is within us because of our own lack of faith. And lastly, eventually the storm will cease. Worship will be deepened. And your faith in Jesus will be strengthened. Look at verse 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You see, the storm ceased. They worshipped him. Their worship was deepened. Why? Because they recognized who he was. Again, it was affirmed to them again. Not only did they know, Wow, this man... Is, is the Messiah. Now they know this man commands the winds and the waves to obey Him. This man can rescue us. This man can save us. This man is with us. We don't have to fear anything. And their faith was strengthened. They, 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 they declared that. Truly, you are the Son of God. It was affirmed to them. You see, that's why God brings us through storms. Is that, and, and He does bring us through storms. Yea, though I walk... In the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, I walk through. There's that good word. You better not miss those words in Scripture. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God will bring you through. And he, He allows these storms to come into your life. And He brings you through them. So your worship is deepened and your faith is strengthened. Because faith untried is faith untrue. Even though you feel your faith is on the brink of disaster, when you come through it, it is strengthened. Because it's been tested. Genghis Khan, the 13th century Mongol conqueror, asked his philosophers to come up with a truth that would always be unchangeable, something that that he could say that would never change. They thought about it for a while, and they came to their leaders with this quote. Genghis Khan used it. It too shall pass. In fact, there was a lady who was once asked by her pastor, what's your favorite verse of scripture? She said, and it came to pass. Your storm will pass. I know you don't think so right now, but it will pass. It's a picture of an old burned out mountain shack in an art gallery. All that remained of was the chimney. You've seen those before. The charred debris of what had been that family's sole possession was all that was in that picture except for an old, grandfatherly-looking man dressed only in his underclothes with a small boy holding his hand. It was evident that the child was crying, and beneath the picture were the words which the artist felt the old man was saying to the boy. They were simple words, yet they presented a profound theology and philosophy of life, as we're going through storms. And those words written in that caption of that artwork was this. Hush, child. God ain't dead. I want you to hear that this morning. Some of you are in a terrible storm. You're crying, begging, pleading. You may have to hear Jesus saying, I'm here. It's going to be okay. But he also wants you to remember that he's not dead. Shh. I see Ike holding his granddaughter. If she started to whimper, if she started to fuss, you could see all three of those doing what? What? And our Heavenly Father, even though sometimes you don't feel it, He's holding us in His arms, and we're kicking and screaming, and He's going, shh, it's going to be all right. I'm still here. Some of you need that this morning. Yours is not the only storm. Minister to others in their storms. Get close with God. Get along with God. No matter how long or severe, expect Jesus to intervene miraculously. Sometimes you're called to walk above your storm before he calms it. He wants your your storm to grow your faith. And he wants your faith to be deepened and strengthened. He loves you. Your storm is not a curse from God. Your storm is not his punishment or his wrath against your sin. He took that out on his son, Jesus. Jesus took the wrath of God for yours and my sin. Your storm is not God's wrath. Your storm is not God's consequence of your sin. Your storm is God's strengthening your faith, teaching you how to walk with him, there are some of you here today that your biggest storm that you're facing is hell because you've rejected Jesus Christ over and over again. You have chosen not to follow him and not to believe in him. The one of whom we sang this morning, the one we encountered in this passage of scripture, the only one who can deliver you from your sin. See, God put all the punishment for your sin and mine on his son Jesus. So you could be spared from that forever. And that's why he says, whoever believes in him should not perish. That's live in an eternal storm called hell but shall have everlasting life. No, when you become a Christian, you won't be spared of every storm in this world but you will be spared of the worst storm called hell. And you'll be assured of the presence of the living God with you every moment of every day here. The joy, the peace, the love, the blessing of a heavenly Father who loves you. If you've never made that commitment, today you can. Right here, right now, you can make Jesus your Savior. God can become your Father, but you have to ask Him. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. give you an opportunity to ask the Lord Jesus to save you from your sin. Just ask Him. Tell Him.